What would you have done on September the 12th, 2001? What would I have done? Yeah. I would have done a legitimate, a legitimate investigation to find out what exactly happened on 9-11. How did they know who did this so quickly like they did Lee Harvey Oswald? Because the people who did it were identified and they were. Well, then why couldn't we have stopped them beforehand? It's stated right in the memo, bin Laden to steal planes and run them into buildings. It was almost like they ignored it because they wanted it to happen. Generation Lost. This is Bryn and Jeremy, and this is the show where we watch different movies. different sides of the country. Thank you for listening. Yes, we are, for the first time, <laughs> recording remotely. I'm in Los Angeles, and Jeremy is back home in, in Greatest Brooklyn. city in the world, uh, baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm in Holly Weird, <laughs> the old La La Land. Enabling our sick pedophilic culture. <laughs> Yeah, well, I went to go scope out all the movies, because this is where all the movies get made. Nothing gets made in New York. That's true, nothing. There's never been a movie based in New York once. (laughs) It's only Law & Order, and that's all they make there. It is pretty weird, though, how, like... I was just like driving and then it was like, oh, there's the Paramount Studios. Like, I wasn't trying to go see it, you know, but it's just like all of their big stages and like the classic like archway or whatever. And like the Hollywood sign is just here all the time. Yeah, it is. It is weird that there's like like a cultural understanding of like Hollywood is the movie place. Like Hollywood is synonymous with movies. The Hollywood sign is like a symbol that you use to show like a, a person's ambition in a story that they want to be an actor or something like that. It's like all this iconic yeah. shit. And then it is just a place, you know, oh, it's yeah. like weird I mean, that it's, that's just, it's a, a very place. weird place <laughs> where, you know, rich people sort of like planned it all out this way that it was like, it's supposed to be an oasis for like weird, rich people who wanted to make movies and stuff. Right. It's a, it's an odd, it's an odd place to have grown up. Um, but anyway, so what did you listen to or watch this week? <laughs> uh, I, so I've been catching up with a lot of stuff. I've watched a lot since the last time we spoke. Uh, it may be apparent Good. from the recordings, but maybe it's not that we, we banked two in a week and then we haven't spoken, uh, or haven't done a podcast in a little while. <laughs> so I, yeah, no, we were, we were on a break of our friendship. Yeah, we're just not talking. We've never right spoken. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually really awkward. It's actually why Bryn is in California right now. Yeah. <laughs> escape me. Uh, no, so I've been catching up with a lot of the 2019 releases, trying to get ahead of, you know, all the uh, Academy Awards nominees so that, like, I have an informed opinion about why the Academy Awards suck. <laughs> so I've, uh, trying to think of what I watched. Uh, I watched Knives Out. I liked it. Fine. Pretty good. Not amazing. So how did Knives Out stack up against his other classic film, Brick? Oh, I thought you were going to say his other classic film, Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) I've actually never seen Brick. I've always considered Brick like a girlfriend movie. 
like every girlfriend I've ever had uh, liked Brick. Okay. Just, <laughs> it's a girl It's not movie. a girl movie. No, it's a girlfriend movie. Oh. It's like one of those movies so, that you like hang on to in as, exchange to get your girlfriend to watch something she doesn't want to watch. <laughs> you watch that? Yeah, it's like your peace offering to be like, okay, and now we're going to watch like Riccio or something like that. But you never watched Brick. No, I never watched Brick. So you never got to do the exchange? No, there's, I mean, well, there's plenty of bargaining chips, you know, you... you use different movies in, in, in that way. I thought Looper is his other one, right? Yeah. Looper's another one of those. I've never actually seen anything except for Brick by him and Star Wars, obviously. Mm-hmm. Is Brick good? It's like uh, Joseph Gordon-Levittown, uh, right? Yeah, Levittown? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, I don't know. He, uh, yeah, it's it's hard to say. It. I liked it a lot when I was in high school, but it's a movie about high schoolers. Mm-hmm. Um. And I don't know if it holds up anymore. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's something we talked about when we were talking about Lady Bird a couple weeks ago, that it's like, it's hard to imagine watching a high school movie and, and as an adult and, and feeling anything other than, eh, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was like, uh, okay. But this is a movie about high schoolers acting like... They're like detectives, right? Acting like uh, adults. Yeah, yeah. It's a noir movie set in a high school. I'll, I'll check it out at some point. Maybe it's when like, I but- uh, run out of stuff to watch. <laughs> it just doesn't sound that appealing to me, honestly. I don't <laughs> yeah, like it's- Joseph Gordon-Levitt. What? I don't care for him. Well, that's fine. <laughs> it's like Bugsy Malone if Bugsy Malone was taken seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, but so the movie I wanted to talk about, though, that I watched this week is Lighthouse. Okay. Really, really liked it a lot. Uh, we talked about it. I don't think that it's as good as Uncut Gems, but I do think it's really good. Uh, I thought Robert Pattinson was only okay oh, yeah. in it. Yeah, that's the thing I disagree with you I on. thought, uh, I mean, it's unfair to put him next to Willem Dafoe. I think that was the role that Willem Dafoe was born to play. <laughs> that's so true. Yeah, he he's basically an old man now i mean but i thought that yeah i thought he's fucking fantastic in it i thought the movie overall is really good and like much funnier than i expected it to be but one of the reasons why i wanted to bring it up is because i think it helps to articulate something that we talked about last week that i don't think that i like was able to fully express the way i wanted to about the different types of film analysis and the way that we were talking okay, about yes. Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared, and the way that people will look at these little artifacts in the film of, you know, um, you know, the calendar on the wall is a certain thing, and, like, you know, the guy appears at certain times, and that means that the story is this instead of this. And I thought The Lighthouse had a kind of a similar thing when I started reading people's takes on it, because, okay, so the, the two types of analysis I'm talking about here, right, are the one take on The Lighthouse is that it's a movie about class. Because you're looking at the relationship between Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson <laughs> as employer and employee, and you know the 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 wage and the power that Willem Dafoe has over Robert Pattinson to make him do all of the hard labor while he gets to enjoy the light, like that's that's the type of analysis I am interested in, right? Is broad themes, things that are like uh, a, a message of a of a of a piece of film right the type of analysis i am not okay. interested in is uh at the end at the very end you see robert pattinson naked getting pecked at by seagulls and so that means that actually the story the whole time was the dying vision of a man marooned on an island and the lighthouse is actually the sun beating what? down on him and the whole time he's been dying and fighting the seagulls that are actually fighting him at the end 
that's the type of shit I'm not interested in. <laughs> I don't give a shit about what you think the secret plot of the movie is. And I get that that's like a valid way to analyze a film. And I get that that's like everybody enjoys things a different way. I just think that uh, that makes you a dork. <laughs> well, Lighthouse. Okay, so I feel like I'm not sure I even understand the difference here. Mm-hmm. Because Lighthouse, to me, because the funny thing I read was that it seemed to be very much about like Greek mythology. Because mm-hmm. it's a movie that is basically just the story of like Prometheus. Yes. I did not get that. I, I'm not b- big on Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a classic I, I watched, scholar. I don't really know any of this shit. And I, I watched that movie and I was like... I read a little article about like how everything was like a reference to Greek mythology. And I was like, that to me didn't make it really better or right. worse. Like not knowing any of that stuff. I still really enjoyed mm-hmm. the movie. And that's the that's the mark of a good piece of art, right? Is if you don't get the references, you can still enjoy it. Yeah. So I don't know what was good about including it. I don't know what it really is supposed to mean. And I definitely didn't think of it as a movie about employer employee or like power i guess i thought of it more about as more about power in general of like who gets to be in charge and like what it means to like have someone setting rules and like it's kind of a movie about like i don't know almost abuse like worker abuse i guess if anything um which is about class then and i didn't it's it's an it's a I movie about so. an employer abusing his employee essentially, and there is this. I mean, the, the light being you know this thing that only he has access to that most of the movie Robert Pattinson's character wants. Like he wants to see the light. He wants to get into the the light area and like do, do that instead of literally shoveling like human shit out of uh out of the th- you know like. <laughs> It's definitely yeah. like there there is like a, a disparity there that the film is intentionally putting and and I could see how it's like a more broad thing about power overall but I mean I think that you know the two are are intertwined in in a way that is really you know hard to sure uh, separate I guess right I mean I I think I think my issue with that second sort of interpretation of the movie is that it's just not in the text like there's nothing in the movie that suggests that robert pattinson was dead the whole time like that's just you know what i mean it's it's just a bad interpretation of a movie and it it applies to don't hug me i'm scared really well because all of this interpretation of the story of Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared being that the red guy made the TV show is almost entirely based on these like little non sequitur moments of like at the end, him walking away from the phone booth and like him at his desk, like talking to his boss and like uh, at the beginning, seeing uh, the the stocks rising thing. Right. The, there are these little artifacts that somebody will take and then be like, well, how do I fit the rest of this around this idea that I have based on this one what ultimately could just be that it was a dramatic image, you know, like that could be as far mm. as it goes is that the image of Robert Pattinson naked getting pecked by seagulls just felt really intense in the moment. And that's really the only reason it's there. Right. It's also like literally a like the what happens to the guy in the Greek tragedy or whatever, mm-hmm. which I had no idea. He just like has his shit being eaten for ever as he's like alive. Um so that's like a literal 
<laughs> a literal visual thing. But with Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared, I I do think that, that, that some of that is in the text, though. Like, I don't think the red guy is like the creator. He's just a character on a children's mm-hmm. show. But I think like them, I think them getting like one by one kicked off of the show or like removed from the show, like is the yeah. text like he, he they they get kicked off and then the bur- the duck guys like innards start getting eaten or whatever and like whatever that means you know is kind of up for interpretation but like he does get kicked off of the show and then the duck gets kicked off of the show and then the yellow guy's like alone at the end he's like right. i miss you so you have to start from there and then be like okay well this is what's in the show i don't know i i think the mo- the show is a I, I still stand by that I think that show is about like studio meddling in like artistic sure, creation. I think that I think that that's a valid read of it, but that's even like it, we're kind of talking about the same thing here, which is like this broader idea of this piece of art is about what it's like to create art when other people have a stake in it versus the secret story of this is that the red guy is the creator. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I, I hear you. And I, and I think a lot of that stuff is 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 built off of like tenuous uh, interpretations of stuff, and 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 I, I I really hate when people like fall into making like um like taking every little shot and then twisting it to fit their their interpretation. And you know, it's funny this happened with Hereditary. Really? Yeah, I remember Hereditary. There was a few YouTubers who were like convinced that it was a movie about like either about a trans kid yes yes somebody sent me that video actually and i watched it and that's what got me thinking about this while i watched the lighthouse right because that is actually one of the more convincing one of these that i've seen but then if you like really think about it like it doesn't really fit at all it's like well what is ari aster saying then if the movie is about a kid who's trans it's like does he think it's horrifying and bad that that happens or like, <laughs> and then how does the abuse part fit in to right. it? Um, Cause the end of it is pretty heavily implied that like the, you know, the Satan, like the, the, the demon guy is going to like end the world. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he like <laughs> destroys his whole family. So yeah. it's like, well, it, what, what, what are you saying that this is, this movie is about then? And so, I mean, that's kind of fun to think about, I guess. And Ari Aster actually just said, like, the, the movie's not about that. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Which is, like, I don't know. I, I, I kind of don't always respect, like, authorial intent or whatever. But it's, I think if you're talking about this is the secret story, then if the director says it's not, then you were wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, if you want to say, like, oh, this is a po- postmodern way to look at it. Like, I, this is my interpretation. Fine. But... If you're saying this is the real, the real hidden meaning, <laughs> you you're, you're the writer. You're wrong. Right. Speaking of Ari Aster, though, I did also watch Midsommar, and I really liked it a lot more than Hereditary. That is so weird. I think it's really like good and entertaining and aesthetically a fucking triumph. I think it's. I think it looks better than The Lighthouse. Wow, that's crazy. I think yeah, visually, it's a it's stunning. It's really really gorgeous. And like the weird thing about it, and and then we'll move on. We'll talk about what you watched, and then we'll move on to loose change. But uh, <laughs> the weirdest thing about it to me is that Ariaster is not from Sweden. That is so strange to me because like <laughs> it has such a like love of Sweden 
and like of the environment there and of the architecture there. And like, I have to imagine that a lot of people involved in it were from there because there is such a romance about Sweden in that film. And, uh, yeah, Uh, I loved it. I really, really enjoyed it. I also loved Midsommar. I don't know if I've, I just think it's funny that you liked it more than hereditary because that's not whatever everyone kind of disagrees, but like, I, I don't think it's invalid. Like, I think it's a much more researched, much more like carefully planned movie. And it's like, has a lot of different things to, to show you and to, to say, because there's a movie about breakups where, somebody dies at the end and like it has all of these interesting ways about like the way that the dickhead boyfriend is like treated as like basically he's a dickhead for being kind of a normal douchebag you know he's not an yeah he's not really abusive in any way he's just like she doesn't deserve that yeah he's just a (laughs) Um, coward yeah he's just a coward and the way the movie is just like has absolute disdain for that is really interesting and so funny uh, so what what did, what did you watch this week? So I watched no movies that I can recall. <laughs> I meant to watch a movie on the on the plane, um, but what I did watch this week was the Hip Hop Evolution, and it is kind of just what it sounds like. It's um, hour long episodes of just hip hop history, and it kind of is painstaking in how detailed it is like the whole first season like doesn't get out of the 80s uh-huh. like it's like everything about like the message and funk master or grandmaster flash and um it doesn't even i don't even think it gets to run dmc in the first season and they just interview everybody all kinds of people some t- some huge names and some people you've never heard of it's yeah. just like they talk about everything so they're on the fourth season now which is which just dropped and um, I just watched the first episode of the four season. They're like an, an hour long, like every episode. And this one was about um, Louisiana bounce culture. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about that? I do. Yeah. Uh, I remember it from uh, when Miley Cyrus had uh, some sort of like twerk thing happen with her. And then everyone was oh. like, you're doing, you're doing a cultural appropriation. And then Big Frida was like, this comes <laughs> from us. And then everyone was like, oh, we love Big Frida now. And now Big Frida's like a huge <laughs> artist. Yeah, she is huge. And and it's weird because I don't know if anybody's actually listening to it or she's just like a celebrity now. I don't get it. I don't think anybody listens to it, no. <laughs> I've never heard her stuff on the radio, so it's weird. But that show is, is strange because it's sort of like, it's painstaking in how detailed it is, but it also always feels like there there could be so much more to say and so many more stories because it's like right. all of these people who were there at the time, you know, in the in like eighties and nineties, just being like, yeah, I took this little sample and I put it on here, and everyone would just go wild, and it was so crazy, and we invented this whole genre um, just by, you know, spinning this album or whatever. Like this one guy was really good at rapping. Um, and then they'll tell like one or two like anecdotes and then it just feels like, yeah, but tell me all the other things that happen. <laughs> like this is someone's whole life. Right. Um, yeah. So it, it, it gets to this weird area of documentary where it's like, yeah, but there's never enough. You know, now I just want to like live your whole entire life. <laughs> uh, so it's it's fun. Yeah. It's like, um, have you ever listened to the podcast Turned Out a Punk? No. It's uh. Tell um, me about it. 
what's his name? Uh, Damien from uh, the band Fucked Up. And he does these interviews with uh, either people from punk bands or actors or comedians or just like various public figures who have some sort of history with punk rock. And he just goes through their entire life story with them of like how they've interacted with punk over the course of time and like what it meant to them at various times in their life. And it's really in depth. The amount of shit that Damien knows is like really, really impressive. Like somebody will mention some seven inch by abandoned, like the middle of nowhere, North Dakota. And he'll be like, Oh yeah, I I've heard that. I have that. I have the seven inch of their other band. I'd love to see like what his record collection looks like. Cause it's gotta be insane, (laughs) but it kind of reminds me of that in a way where by the end of every episode, you haven't gotten that far into the person's life because they just keep talking yeah. about everything. And then at the end of it, <laughs> he ends, like I think, almost every episode by being like, will you come back for a part two? And they're always like, yes. And then it never happens because people are busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, just thinking about um, there's one with like the guy from Thursday, the singer of Thursday. Yeah, talk about how he went to go see uh, Bad Brains in like before their first album came out. And he was like, 13, oh, wow. And his parents knew Bad Brains. And they talk about that story for like 20 minutes. And then it's really <laughs> entertaining and cool. And then by the end of it, like he hasn't even like started Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I didn't know about that show because I love uh, Fucked Up. I love Pink Eyes. Um, yeah. So that sounds r- right up my alley. Yeah, you should definitely check it out. I will. And I'm definitely going to check out Hip Hop Evolution. That sounds very far up my alley as well. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It's um sort of the same thing, except like even less detail because, you know, they're like interviewing all kinds of people from a whole scene. Um, and then you're just like, what? This guy's amazing. I want to hear him talk about like his whole life forever. And then they only get like a few seconds of interview or whatever. So mm-hmm. it's almost fr- it's almost frustrating in, in how fun it is and then like how but it, you know like they spent an entire hour on unbounce culture you know like actually there was a, another podcast with um Cypher Sounds and Rosenberg from Hot 97 used to have a show called uh, uh Juan Epstein that was a similar sort of thing to turn out a punk but for hip hop and i'm just remembering now i don't know if it still exists or not but they would do they have like a 4 or 5 hour interview with Kanye West where they just talk to Kanye oh my about God. like his life with hip hop and then for like maybe like an hour or so of it, the way they describe it is they just get Kanye'd. Like he just like takes <laughs> over the conversation entirely, just dominates it with like absurd Kanye shit. And they're just like, all right, well, <laughs> that's an hour lost. <laughs> uh, but a fantastic hour spent. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention before we get into the movie, um, we talked about, uh, I think a few episodes ago, we talked about, uh, I asked what, what director you want to um, see make a movie. And I think your answer was nobody. You don't want to see anybody make a movie. Yes. And then I (laughs) Um, said uh, Spike Lee. But I said Miranda July, who it was, I just wanted to say, is making a movie. It's already made. It's called uh, Kajillionaire. Um, And I'm incredibly excited. It sounds really interesting. Okay. Well, you want to get into uh, Loose Change? Loose Change. This week we watched Loose Change, a documentary from 2000, 
to it's sort of hard to say when exactly it's from because it's from a lot. It came out yeah. it came out many times. The one we watched came out in 2006. Yes. The Wikipedia says released Although the, I watched two of them. It's crazy that you watched two of them. I well I watched the first edition and then I don't want to like say anything about it but what a certain thing happened and then I watched the second edition. <laughs> right. And the and there it's much longer. There's the first edition is 60 minutes and the second edition is 82 minutes. But this is a yeah. movie written by Dylan Avery, directed by Eric Wong. Well, I guess the like the later version is directed by Eric Wong, right? Yeah, no, I think Dylan Avery is like largely doing it by himself at this point. Right. And then the later versions of it, like the final cut and stuff, uh, involve more people. Which have you... And have like a much bigger budget, apparently. Have you seen those later ones, like the, the final cut? No. No, me neither. Yeah, I would be curious to check them out, but like from what I hear, they they become like too shiny and polished, and like people are turned off by it. <laughs> like which people? Like uh, like truthers. I think like people. Oh, okay. Kind of saw it and were like, "Well, this is not the same. <laughs> this isn't cool and underground. This isn't punk enough." Yeah. Um. So do you? Let's. I guess re- recap. Yeah. High high level. This is a uh, this is a documentary feature about 9-11, the, uh, the cultural event we all know about. <laughs> you've um, heard about it? You've, you've heard of 9-11, I, I suppose. <laughs> but it's going through the events of uh, the you know, months and days leading up to it, and then the day of, and then you know, what, what follows, and uh, kind of presenting various places in which the official narrative uh, doesn't make sense, or does make sense, but uh, has a couple of questions to be asked about yeah. it. And then at the end, kind of loops it all together into an allegation that 9-11 was done by the United States government for the purposes of making money off of the World Trade Center uh, insurance for the owners, and then also getting a blank check to do war in the Middle East. Yeah, to invade Iraq for some reason, which is still weird. There's still no reason we would have done that. Uh, uh, And then... um, yeah, and then kill Osama bin Laden and all that stuff. So, yeah, it basically starts with um, what happened before 9-11, like what the signs were that it could happen with all of these military trials and, and, and tests of like flying uh, 747s into buildings and stuff. Yeah, there's a lot about like the stock trading uh, with American Airlines leading up to it. The thing about the movie is that in in large part, like it has a narrative to it, which is, you know, like the before time, the during time, the after time. Yeah. And then looping it all together into a theory, right? That's the structure of it. But ultimately, what it is is a sort of scatter shot of information, and it's it's kind of it's difficult to think about how to talk about it in that way because of the fact that it's just these little snippets, and they don't really go very far. And each one of these things requires you to kind of like Google it and like look <laughs> further into it to see whether or not you actually believe it, or whether since two thousand and six something else has come yeah. up. It's 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 an interesting viewing experience now as people in twenty twenty. Right. I think. So uh, that that brings up kind of I think the way I wanted to talk about it is. When did you first see it, and what was your viewing of it at that time? I saw it, uh, I think, in 2005. I think that would have been when I saw the original one. Okay. You did watch the very first one? I think so, yeah. It may have been the second one, but I think I saw the first one, because 
the way I'm remembering it is that I did see it in high school. Okay. It could have been 2006 when I saw it. In any event, I saw it because <laughs> it was somebody linked to it in their aim away message. <laughs> okay. And I, I clicked it and uh, just watched the whole thing in one sitting and just like had that very classic teenage like, fuck, oh, fuck, what? Oh my God, fuck. And like I sent it to my dad immediately and he was like, I don't know about this. <laughs> yeah. I like I, I can't imagine what that away message was. I think it literally was just the link. I don't think it said anything. XX cut my wrist and black my eyes. Also this link. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also the government did 9-11. When did you first see it? I saw it. God, I, I feel like there must have been a few versions by the time I saw it. I probably saw the second. I think I saw the recut. Um, the second edition recut because I remember it was not, I watched it the not long after the like final cut came out, which was in 2007. And so I was in college and this was like sort of beginning me getting like really into like not trusting the government or capitalism or, you know, being a communist or whatever. And, uh, so for me, I feel like I watched it even then very skeptically because I felt like I had a very open brain at the time and I was worried about that. <laughs> like I didn't want to get pulled mm-hmm. too far in any direction of like I had basically not been a Christian for like a year. <laughs> like I just stopped being a Christian. So I was like, okay, I don't want to like right. fall into any cult or like any weird conspiracy theory. I really relate to that. I totally feel that where there's like a certain time in your life where you're like, I don't want to be influenced by this because I know how influenceable I am. Yeah, exactly. Like I I had just found out my entire life was based on the idea that God exists. And then I was pretty sure it doesn't really exist anymore. And I was like, well, I don't know anything. (laughs) And I'm like trying to like, like I was only reading like philosophy. I was just like, how do I know what is real? So I guess I turned into a weirdo anyway, but like I just wanted to make sure I wasn't like just believing in anything. So I watched it very critically, but I feel like while I didn't necessarily believe everything in the movie, it was a part of sort of this whole kind of movement at the time that just felt like I I feel like everybody kind of thought 9-11 was complicated and like yes. nobody nobody knew what was really true or like how to really parse it. And so I, it, I, I watched it like with a with an eye of like, this is probably not all true, but definitely some of this stuff is. <laughs> One of the things that I was thinking about while watching it was that kind of the roots of the 9-11 truth movement, like the, the reason why people started to think there was a government cover-up was because of the fact that the government didn't really do much of an investigation, right? It was just yeah. kind of 9-11 happened, and then the next day they were like, here's who did it, here's why they did it, we're going after them, you know, here we go. And and the, the, the roots of it are kind of similar to the roots of, like, the Iraq War, where it's like, we kind of, after 9-11, American society as a whole kind of gave the government this sort of huge buy-in there 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 was like a a a blank check given to them saying like you don't ever have to justify anything (laughs) to us and whether or not there was anything you know shady that happened on 9-11 the fact remains that they still didn't look into it very far yeah 
and and that's what left the door open for this kind of thinking and i mean they did i guess eventually like release a big report that sort of was like I guess open to the public. Ages later, it, it was years and years later. They they published it as a book. Yeah, famously seen in the opening shot <laughs> of the Mark Wahlberg movie Shooter. Oh yeah, <laughs> to uh, to to signal to the viewer that Mark Wahlberg uh, he doesn't trust the government. He doesn't trust him. Uh, he has a copy of the nine eleven commission report. They released it as like a novel. It's like a book. It's a paperback book you could have bought at like Costco when you were picking up groceries. Yeah. You know, it's like so weird. It's a hugely published book, and when the the commission was interviewing people for their testimony. George Bush refused to sit without Dick Cheney. Yeah. The two of them had to sit together. <laughs> like, there's a lot of stuff about 9 11 that I don't want to get too far into, you know, theories because I think that that's not a very valuable use of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that there's wh- whether or not like it was an inside job, whether or not it was a controlled demolition, I don't think either of those things are the case. Uh, but I do think that there is enough stuff there that. There's a reason why this movie caught on. You know, there's a reason why 9-11 Truth became a big nonpartisan thing, you know? Yes, because it sort of represents like the concept of the government does not have your interests in mind and is willing to do anything for their interests, including murder you. They don't care. And I think that that really resonated with people because it's basically true. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting that I realized while I was just doing some background reading around this is that around the time that Loose Change came out is around the time of the uh, the Pat Tillman thing. Do you remember that? I don't think so. What is that? So Pat Tillman was an NFL player who gave up his football career to join the military after 9-11. Oh, yeah. He... <laughs> turned down a like multi-million dollar contract with the Arizona Cardinals to go join the army and fight because he, you know, because 9-11 happened. Very similar to the American Sniper tale. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he became this sort of like, uh, uh, like poster boy character. Like people were really inspired by him because he, you know, he, he was so inspired and so patriotic that he turned down like, you know, the, his the entire life's ambition, his entire dream uh, to go fight because he felt a duty to. And then he uh, died. He got killed. <laughs> and they the, the army perpetuated this story about him where he, you know, he and his, his platoon, they, they were under fire. And he charged up a hill shooting at them to save the lives of his companions. And like he, he fought them off valiantly. But in the end, he died. Uh, and then that was the story for a little while. He was, he was like given all these medals and whatever posthumously. Uh And then it turned out that, uh, that didn't happen at all. (laughs) And he actually had been killed by friendly fire. Oh no. (laughs) And so then the story shifted to, well, actually, uh, they were under fire and in the confusion of the fire, uh, one of his, uh, beloved, uh, you know, compatriots they they shot him by mistake yeah and everyone was like oh oh that sucks oh that really sucks but then it turned out that it was like really close range and like there were multiple bullets in his head and they were like no this is definitely intentional they killed him uh so then they were like well you know sometimes so uh sometimes army people they they go a little nuts it's really stressful over there you know <laughs> and everyone's like oh that really sucks oh, that uh-huh. really sucks. and then it like came out that pat tillman was like vocally opposed to the iraq war 
<laughs> what? Like, Wait, so what? Was he just assassinated by somebody <laughs> in his platoon because he was against the Iraq war? What the fuck is all this? And this is all happening in 2005, exactly when Loose Change comes out. And so I oh, think wow. this kind of represents this time and place where like, there was sort of a, a cultural uh, pushback against this post-9-11 blank check that the government yeah. had. At least politically, it's definitely... A, a part of it that's just like this everything that we're doing is evil i think <laughs> i think a lot of people are sort of waking up to that idea that like since world war ii we've been doing things that are bad and not actually good in any way like it wasn't just the vietnam war <laughs> like also the korean war and also the gulf war and also every single military adventure right that we've been involved in was as bad as the vietnam war um and we're doing it again, and, and like the concept of manufacturing consent, it was entering the sort of conspiracy theorist consciousness because of 9-11. Right. So before we get any further into um, the political content of the movie, like what did you think of the movie like as a, as a movie? I think it's really interesting because I think that like – it does something with like the the genre that had never really existed before this where like the thing that i was thinking of is sort of how the music and the aesthetic of it kind of blends together to create this like coolness yeah <laughs> that just isn't really a hallmark of conspiracy media otherwise at least up until that point yeah exactly and then after this it's all this forever yeah, yeah. like nothing ever isn't like this again <laughs> yeah exactly but like i grew up being really into ufos and uh Ooh, me too watching a lot of that stuff and reading a lot of that stuff and and so you remember then that like stuff the ufo shit wasn't cool no you know like little shitty documentaries about area 51 weren't cool there was never anything where like there was a snide sounding sort of young guy just like well this 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 <laughs> but actually this <laughs> like, there was never that like sort of sexy 90s kid sort of vibe about uh like a ufo thing or like a bigfoot thing or whatever no like, it was always like i don't know the guy from unsolved mysteries or like your uncle yeah uh-huh and then the FBI said that this didn't happen, but did it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, or, or it was just like, well, we went over to Arizona, we looked and we saw a flying saucer and then this is how it happened and they're yeah. trying to keep it away from you. And it's like just matter of fact and they're just like, everyone should believe this, obviously. I'm not crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's it. The, the only like cool funness of that culture really was around like the actual in real life like ufo spotting like going to yeah. ufo spotting events was a fun thing mm -hmm. but it wasn't cool it was like tailgating you know tailgating isn't cool <laughs> tailgating is fun yeah exactly but loose change is cool and that's what's so interesting about it to me yeah it has this attitude that like we meaning me the director and you the viewer are way too smart to take all of this shit at face value. So I'm going to tell you what they said, and then we're going to smugly look at it and be like, huh, you th they think we believe this? Idiots. Yeah. We are way cooler than that. It kind of made me think of um, kind of the way podcasting is right now <laughs> as, a, as a tool of propaganda, essentially. Okay. That like... 
part of what the like leftist podcast thing is, right, is essentially it's just propaganda, right? We're just propagandizing. Yeah, 100%. We are using we're using a a method of of uh like I guess social programming would be the best way to describe it, right? Mm. Like Chapo Trap House take for example. Like Chapo Trap House is essentially using the idea of a a personal podcast like a a conversational podcast where listeners develop a you know a relationship to the hosts the uh, parasocial relationship yeah. they're utilizing that psychological phenomenon to implant leftist politics into people yes. right and that's a good thing that's a positive i thing. like we it like i that. like it yeah <laughs> and 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 loose change is kind of doing the same thing where they're using a cool sort of snarky young guy voice to implant the idea that you shouldn't trust the government which at its on its face i like that <laughs> yeah it's it's if you take loose change less literally it's a really really compelling and cool piece of propaganda that i think that we on the left could learn a lot from and i think we have honestly and it's it's pretty wild actually because i had never seen a documentary like this at the time, like of just like Mm -hmm. compiling evidence for a case and then basically making like a argument and and that's a movie somehow. But it's funny because have you ever seen Inside Job? No. Inside Job is a movie by the director of um, No End in Sight, which is about the Iraq war. Um, And Mm -hmm. both of his movies, this one and Inside Job, were not, I think they were like nominated for Oscars. Like he, you know, Inside Job is narrated by Matt Damon, but it's this, it's exactly this. And I don't think that this, I don't think that those movies would exist without in, without loose change. I think that this sort of sense of like, and you know, you, you see them on Netflix all the time. I mean, they have more talking heads now because like they actually had money and, and like interview, you know, money to interview people and like film that stuff. But like the idea of just like, taking the information and presenting it as a way to like argue that this political stance is something that you should look into didn't really exist before loose change. Yeah. You know what it also reminds me of uh, like left tube stuff like bread tube shit like uh, like do not eat does something similar to this. Yeah, Sean and uh, H-Bomber Guy, it's all kind of similar stuff. I mean, H-Bomber Guy has like a more of a personality, but like... Yeah, yeah. he's doing more of like uh, like original footage stuff. Right, but the the concept of like video essays on the internet kind of... This is kind of ground zero. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> How did we get on this? We, I wanted to, we were talking about its merits as a film. And 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 right, like yeah. sort of convincing you that his his opinion his political opinion is right with music and audio and or music and yeah. uh, I mean honestly footage. I'm I'm a 32 year old man you know it's years later and I still watched it <laughs> I was like huh you know like I had to Google a couple of things just to be like do I actually believe this I don't know if I believe this. <laughs> Oh, I will it's say it's a really compelling work. I think so. I mean, I I would say that there are like we said kind of at the beginning, like politically, I don't think that the official story of 9/11 is true. Like I 
If that makes me a truther, <laughs> fine, whatever. We did privately have a conversation where we uh, confided in one another about what percentage of truther we think we are. <laughs> yeah. Because I will not it's reveal so those cra- numbers. Well, I was going to say, like, watching this movie again as an adult, as a as it's in, in 2020 now that like, because when I watched this, I considered myself a leftist. I mean, you know, I was an anti-capitalist. I was just sort of learning about it. And I and it was very careful to like, not jump too far away from the mainstream or whatever. But now as like a communist podcaster, like I was so much more uh, susceptible to this movie. I was like, yeah, sure. That makes sense. <laughs> Yeah. Like Donald Donald Rumsfeld saying like yeah this is uh we destroyed nine we destroyed the World Trade Center I'm like yep that's probably true <laughs> I was like I don't I can't imagine any of this being false <laughs> seems all fine to me I think it's funny too to look at this as like a window back into that era of politics where I I yeah. said that like I think that a large part of where we are politically now as a country comes from the fact that we have such a short attention span and don't remember the bush years at all and it was like interesting <laughs> I know. To look back in it in that way where like you you saw uh there's a brief moment where he talks about robert Mueller, and you're like hey the guy from the Mueller investigation <laughs> <laughs> and they're like oh no he was there he was involved in selling the iraq war <laughs> this was all part of the yeah um, no he's not he's not the epic yeah trump killer he's like the fucking fbi director <laughs> Like, he sucks. He's a terrible person, just like the rest of these fucking ghouls. You know what's interesting, too, is Alex Jones uh, is involved in this. Yeah, he produced it. He produced Uh, a later version of it. He didn't produce the original one. That's right. He threw a bunch of money into into it um, sort of later when, when, when they made, like, the more professional version of it uh and you know it's funny at the end it says like if you want to learn more about this stuff like go to these go to these websites and some of them are like geocities websites that clearly don't exist anymore no a lot of this stuff is gone and one of them is Mm prisonplanet.com oh paul joseph watson (laughs) but i don't think i don't think it was always paul joseph watson i think that it used to just be alex jones's other website i'm pretty sure yeah because because he works for Infowars, right? Right. And Paul Joseph Watson isn't that old. No, he's very young. Yeah, it's interesting because it's like there was an era where Alex Jones was not what he is now. Where like in recent uh, yeah. years he's kind of come to be known as this like Trump surrogate sort of uh, you know, hard right character. But I remember him being first and foremost, uh, the ranting guy in Waking Life. Me and too. then I remember him <laughs> being the guy who broke into Bohemian Grove. Which is awesome. Really cool. Very cool. I would <laughs> highly recommend people watch that. Uh, so insane. But it's um, it, like he used to be this sort of he's like a catch all conspiracy guy, whatever. Like he's involved in every conspiracy theory community to some extent. And him producing the Loose Change Final Cut at the time was seen as like a cool thing. Where people were like, oh, it's good to see him like giving back to the community. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like he was just like, the little guy made a good thing. Let's uh let's give him some money. But it's funny yeah. because I think the director of this movie doesn't think of himself as a conspiracy theorist. And and I mean, as someone who is at least p- 
partially interested in what this movie has to say. I don't consider myself a conspiracy theorist too. And I think it's weird. The concept of conspiracy theorists has really changed (laughs) now that we have a lot more information on the internet about the conspiracies that we absolutely have proof exist. It's really strange. Like, I remember being told about MK Ultra when I was like in high school and then like when it came out that like actually that was completely true. Like literally everything everyone said about it was a fact. I was like right. Wow. Okay. It, <laughs> so maybe It's similar to like COINTELPRO is one of those things too where when I was a kid like learning about COINTELPRO was done in like photocopied zines and you'd read it yeah like i've absolutely no way to verify this i'm gonna guess that it's true (laughs) but i really don't know that it is and then now you could just go to the wikipedia page for cointelpro and you're like oh yeah no that's a real thing and when you read about stuff like cointelpro when you hear about stuff like pat tillman it's like much easier to believe that again not that the government did 9-11, did a controlled demolition, but rather that there are elements of 9-11 that are beyond what the official narrative is and that, you know, that there would be reason to cover things up and that they do cover things up and that that happens a lot. <laughs> yeah, and they don't. And, it, and and I remember like my father, I always hear my father's voice when we when I talk about like conspiracy theories, because he would always be like, the government is too stupid to like do this kind of thing mm-hmm. to like have like orchestrated stuff. And I was like, and I, that always felt right to me. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, of course, they're too stupid. But if you actually look into this stuff, they don't do it well. It's never this like, incredibly executed plan there's all kinds of evidence that they've done terrible things and covered it up and there's all these loose ends and strings that they haven't picked up and just nobody cares right part of what helps these things stay hidden for so long is the fact that they're very poorly hidden you know it's it's a hiding in plain sight type of thing where like i mean famously the reason why we even know about cointelpro is because somebody kicked down the door of an FBI office and stole files <laughs> out of a file cabinet. That's yeah. why we know that they tried to kidnap uh, the woman from the Weather Underground's baby. You know, and why they, and why we know that they literally just the American government just murdered Fred Hampton. They just kill people, and th- and that's why we know for sure that. They're just all of these Ferguson protesters who are just showing up dead with like bullets in the back of their head in a burning car in Ferguson yeah. are being killed by the the state. Like we don't have to wonder anymore. And I don't and I person I don't personally accept the idea that like, well, you have to wait until someone breaks into the Ferguson Police Department office and finds the, fu- you know, the smoking gun. I can just look at the evidence and be like, no, that lines up. This is the yeah. kind of shit they do. <laughs> and by the same token for me in this movie like there's stuff that they talk about like all of the puts on the stock market of boeing and american airlines like that's enough evidence for me that they knew about it i don't think they had a controlled demolition of it but like they were like we are going to profit off of this and we're gonna use it to go to war and you know it's gonna happen i think that the failing point of of this film is when it starts drawing conclusions exactly i think that's the problem with loose change for me is when it starts to draw conclusions i think that its value as a piece of propaganda is spent at that point its value is to ask questions and leave you to say huh well that's weird you know once it starts saying like 
and here's what happened. It was a controlled demolition. The government did this because this guy who owns the building wanted the insurance money, and we wanted to go to war. Once you start doing that, you're like, well, this all sounds like a lot, actually. Now that you now that you mention it, it does kind of sound like quite a bit that could have been done in a different way. Yeah. So, it, but but when you're just asking these questions, you start prompting the mind to be like, huh, well, yeah, it is kind of weird how we all know that cell phones don't work on an airplane, and then there's this, like, perfect sound bite of this guy saying, let's roll. That is pretty weird. Does kind of sound like the Pat Tillman story to me. And I think... I want I think that's like the part of it failing at being a movie like that's that's almost like a uh, that's almost a technical thing where it's like he he was a kid who was like well I guess I have to like wrap up my thesis because that's what I learned in college yeah. so he, here's uh-huh. what I think here's what I think happened you know uh, the government did this they blew up 9/11 with bombs um, and like then because that you know that's sort of not thought through because it's like well then why do they right. use planes <laughs> why didn't they have yeah. a, you know i guess you needed like some sort of explanation for why but then it's like you just don't do that with a conspiracy theory the value <laughs> of them is in the question it's not in the answer <laughs> yeah and we just can't know you know like we just don't know because they've hidden all of the stuff and they're not going to ever tell us but i yeah. think what you should learn from 9-11 from like what we do know about the stories that obviously are lies is that you shouldn't trust the government and the government does not have your best interests in mind and wars are never good and like wars are always bad and it's an imperial project to take all of the resources of other places and all of the the stories about like we're going to protect other people or spread democracy or we're just getting vengeance for something is not a good argument um and it you should allow it to radicalize you not like go into weird holes of like well here's how you know jet fuel works (laughs) because who cares who cares who gives a shit it doesn't matter uh another thing to learn from from loose change in particular is uh uh put your movie out in fucking 2004 <laughs> put it out in 2004 and we would have broken the back of the bush administration and sure we would have ended up with john Kerry, but we would have ended the bush administration this would have ended the bush administration <laughs> but you put it out Wait. the year after he gets reelected, and we have no choice <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's a massively viral movie about how the Bush administration did 9-11. Everybody (laughs) saw it. It was, like, hugely viewed. This would have mobilized voters. Damn. Do you really think so? I absolutely believe that, yes. I think that loose change would have been enough to tip the scales uh, for John Kerry. Damn. And I don't think we would have been better off with John Kerry, but I do think there's an argument to be made that we would be out of Iraq if Bush hadn't kept us there for four years. I never thought about that. You might be right. I mean, but I don't know. I, I feel like John Kerry might have just been like, well, it's not politically uh, good for me to pull it, pull all of the troops out after we just spent four years rabble rousing about how we need to be there. I don't even but, think it was that like because I think that um by I have to look this up at this point. But like by this point, we already knew that like the 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 selling point was fake. Like we knew that the weapons of mass right. destruction were never turning up. We were never going to find them nobody was was believing that shit anymore i think it's completely valid to think that like if john Kerry had just said like hey this was bush's fault we're out of here that would have been it but once he'd already been there for like almost eight years it's like well we've destabilized the region so badly that like now it would be a complete clusterfuck to leave (laughs) 
Right. And that's, well, I think, what keeps us there to this day. Right. And I do remember uh, Fahrenheit 9-11, which I am realizing now is, you know, kind of undermines my, my theory that that uh, Loose Change started video essays, because basically that's what Michael Moore was doing. But Fahrenheit 9-11 did come yeah. out in 2004, but um, was not Bush did 9-11. It's Bush lied about... Iraq and it was so much more yeah. it's funny because I saw that movie in the theater and I must have been like in high school that movie was so confusing because it was like it it wasn't like 9-11 it wasn't like loose change it wasn't like here's the facts it was sort of like there's this weird wishy-washy thing where it looks like we didn't actually have a reason and if we did because I think the problem with like the liberal sort of view on this is like the whole thing about WMDs is like well are you saying that if we if there was WMDs we should have gone to Iraq because it's like right we still shouldn't have we it's we still should not have gone to war with Iraq but right. so obsessing about all that shit, I think, was just sort of mealy mouth and like wishwashy. Um, unlike Loose Change, which is the government murdered 3,000 people with planes. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting. I'm like thinking about it now because part of the and we should probably wrap up soon because we're, we're getting a little over time. But yeah, part of the, the story of Loose Change is that uh, Dylan Avery was making a fiction movie and then did enough research. It was the story was supposed to be a conspiracy movie about what if the government did 9/11, but then what? Really? about that he became convinced that the government actually did 9/11 and so he turned his project into a uh documentary instead of a fiction work. Right? Is that, that was true? the story of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he'll he'll cop to that. That's part of the story of it is that at some point he just shifted focus. Uh, okay. But what's what's so interesting to me about that is that like he is a filmmaker. He still makes films like he was trying to make a movie. And yeah. I, it's so interesting like for how superficial showbiz is and the movie industry is. It's kind of refreshing and cool to think that an aspiring filmmaker's first shot at it was the government killed 3000 people with planes. <laughs> yeah, you know, I like, mean, that's it's a, really that interesting. Is more than anything like a risky first film. <laughs> And like you got to give him credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> I do give him credit for that. I give him credit for a lot of things. I think it's a pretty interesting movie. And with that, would you recommend it? Yes, hundred percent. Watch Loose Change. Highly recommend watching it. If not just for the window into a time and place, because I know a lot of our listeners are on the younger end. You may not remember the Bush years that well. This is, at the very least, it's it's a peer into what was a very real blank check the government had at the time. And a very real, like, nationalist fervor that the nation was kind of, like, swept up in. Yeah. A and it's it's a window into that. And uh, I, don't, I don't think much of this holds up to 2020 scrutiny. And I don't think even Dylan Avery would say it does. But it's an interesting film to watch anyway. Yeah, I think it's definitely, like, if you've got... If you've got two hours to listen to H Bomber Guy rant about Sherlock on the BBC, I think you've got time yeah. to watch an hour, hour and a half version of like why people maybe think that the government did 9-11. Uh, and I mean, <laughs> it's funny because it's like, I feel like this would be taboo to say back then. If I was like the government did 9-11 or whatever, like people would be mad, but like, Mm -hmm. Now I just, I don't care. Like if, if I fully believed everything in loose change and I was like, yeah, the government did 9-11, like the worst you could, 
say is that I didn't research enough, but it's like, why would you be mad about that? Like, of course they would. (laughs) They would do anything terrible. Like who cares? So don't be afraid of this uh, movie. It's not that big of a deal. Um, yeah, and it's you couldn't possibly look dumber than libs on Twitter look every day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You could believe that it was a controlled demolition done by the government to to justify the Iraq War, and you will still not look dumber than Movie Bob saying we need somebody from the brainland of America, <laughs> or David Brooks saying that the the Rust Belt doesn't like Bernie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I mean, it's a it's an interesting movie. It's it's an interesting project. It's sort of you know feels like a kids college project, um, but mm-hmm. I think definitely to get a window into uh, what was going on politically at the time and how people had to talk about it, um, it's so bizarre. Like, because I feel like now you could make a very different kind. I watching this, I almost wanted to make a a new video essay about nine eleven trutherism, like from the left, because mm-hmm. it's it's such a fascinating thing. So yeah, I I thought it was a lot of fun and definitely worth checking out if you've never seen it. Yeah, and uh, with that. Thank you for listening to Generation Loss. It's been another week. <laughs> <laughs> the, the days are going by like sand through they the hourglass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are getting older and we're watching movies. Um, some bonus content for you soon. Thank you yeah, to I the people who... Yeah, I think next week have... is the first bonus episode. We're going to do an um, uh, Academy Awards preview episode. Um but yeah, so that'll be fun. And thank you to the people who have become Patreon subscribers without us even doing that. That's really nice of yeah. you. I can't wait to give you the content that you so crave. But yeah, thanks for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at GenLostPod, at Kinematography, at Jeremy Thunder. Um, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash generation loss. And we'll see you next time. The evidence points that they knew it was coming and did nothing about it. The evidence points that there is explosive material in the rubble of the World Trade Center and nobody's investigating it. The 9-11 Commission had nothing but politicians, not an engineer, not a physicist, not a family member, not a victim, not a first responder, only politicians. That is a problem. It's not properly investigated. The 9-11 Commission report reads like a novel. I mean, come on, there's no real information in that. (laughs) 